Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Glad you guys could be here. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, hey, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every single Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Yeah, now in today's episode, our first segment is going to be establishing a routine in the chaos. Do you maybe have some trouble getting a routine going for your dog, arguing on whose turn it is to walk to feed? Let's get that under control. We're going to talk more about that. Then we're going to have a segment on dog parks. Now, we've talked about dog parks before, but we're going to dive back into it. How to set yourself up for success. Then comes the breed of the week, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, send them over my way. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Keep them coming. But before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is, which animal is known to spend 90% of its day sleeping? Yes, which animal is known to spend 90% of its day sleeping? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in the podcast today. So stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, establishing a routine in the chaos. So what exactly do I mean by the chaos? I mean life. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, everything has just been crazy lately. And I think life was crazy to begin with, you know, anybody out there, you got a family, you got kids, you've got everybody being pulled in different directions. Maybe mom and dad both have careers and kids have extracurriculars and you've got friends and birthdays and holidays. And where does your dog fit into all of this? You know, Uh, lately I have been feeling like a chicken running around with my head cut off. I, I swear it's just been nuts. You know, it's been nuts. And I don't even have children. I don't, look, kudos, hats off to you parents out there. I don't know how you do it day in, day out, exhausted, just beaten down. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, and we've, like I said, we, you know, we had a renovation going on and it's, it's been stressful and trying to live here and run a business and, um, and just everything, right? Just, just everything. (laughs) And that's not even bad, you know, I mean, it's not even bad and it's just, it's stressful and then life can be a bit stressful. And then of course, with everything going on in the world, it just adds to it and compounds it. So once again, where does your dog fit into all this, right? You know, it's tough. It's tough to do everything you need to do for your dog because I think the reality is, and I don't mean this in a slight to everybody, but I think most people don't do enough for their dogs. They just, they don't. And and life gets in the way, right? But we really should do more for our dogs. We should. And the best way, the best way you can start doing more for your dog tomorrow, today, right now, is establishing a good routine. Okay. Now, I do talk specifically about how too much routine is a bad thing. And and I'm not, you know, I still agree with that. I still agree with myself on that one. (laughs) No, but too much routine can be bad. It can be. And when too much routine becomes bad to me, what's really happening there is it's becoming obsessive. And as I've always said, as I always say, any obsessive behavior is not necessarily a good thing. So while a routine is great, too much of a routine can be bad. We don't want to feed our dogs every single morning right at 6 a.m. Because guess what? 6 a.m. rolls around every day, no matter what, if it's Saturday or Monday, and your dog's going to think it's time to eat. So on that day you want to sleep in, it's going to be tough because your dog's going up at 6 a.m. It's time to eat because that's the routine 
you've established. Too much of a routine, right, is a bad thing, okay? So just, just kind of want to establish that right off the bat, but how do we establish this, this routine and the chaos of life? Man, not easy. But, you know, there's, a, there's some good tips and tricks we can do here. Now, we all know there's certain core items we have to do for our dog, like feeding, water, and <laughs> those are the obvious ones. Uh, but things like walking, exercise, bathing, grooming, brushing, all these other things that can actually be incorporated into part of the routine. Now, I really enjoy it when I work with, believe it, I mean, in some ways, I really enjoy working with large families. In other ways, it can be a little bit of a hindrance, you know, just that many more uh, uh, heads in the heads in the, in the mix here. And that many more opinions going on, uh, that many more people to screw things up. No, <laughs> but no, I look at it, and this is why I enjoy working with larger families. I look at it as it's an opportunity for everybody to chip in that much more. You know, if I have a household with five people, then each one of those people can contribute to some degree, even if it's just playtime. You know, even if, it, if we've got a youngest child who's still pretty little and not old enough to walk the dog, then hey, playtime is something we can get them incorporated into. They can help out with the playtime part of the routine. So there's a way that everybody in the family can help. And so I really like it when we have a big contributing family where everybody can play their role. And if everybody can play their role in this routine, it makes it doable, right? Now, one of the other previous segments I did a little while back, It Takes a Village, that's another applicable um you know, episode and segment that can really go along with this because it does, it takes a village. And sometimes, you know, your village is only so big. Um, look, during my, my wife's an accountant, she does taxes. And during tax season, my village is me <laughs> when it comes to the dogs. And for that matter, uh, making meals, do cooking dinner. I mean, look, I turn into, well, I love to cook anyway, but I turn into chef extraordinaire even more so in tax season. That's the routine that we have to adapt for our life. And at that point, the village is, is me. It really is. I'm the one supporting everything at that point and keeping everything upright. She's the one putting her head down and working and plugging and chugging and working 24-7 pretty much through the whole season. Um, so, you know, sometimes the village is not as big as, as you'd like it to be, but you can make it work. Everybody can still pull their weight. Look, my wife does a lot more of the dog, of feeding the dogs during tax season because it is something she can contribute in the routine easily by incorporating as a, as a part of her routine. So, uh, like I said, everybody can play their role in this routine. So what should this routine look like? How do we establish it? You know, look, if you are in a in a household with multiple people in your home, I think the first thing you need to do is have a family meeting. I know, sounds a little silly, but yeah, you need to sit down and have a family meeting because quite frankly, guys, the only way to get people on the same page is to get everybody on the same page. And the easiest way to get everybody on the same page is get everybody in the same room. You know, even for myself, when I do dog training with families, I understand schedules don't always align and that it's tough. But for that first session, I always say I want everybody there at the first session because I'm about to give, you know, new information and I need everybody on that same page for the core information that we have to go over. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so to me, this is where it starts. Have a family meeting. Okay, because when you sit down and have this family meeting, it allows you to go over everybody's schedule, what well, you know, where their busy days are, where their busiest parts of the days are, and it allows you to see who can do what. Okay, so if we have a teenager in high school, well, I already know they're going to be up really early in the morning. Maybe that's not the best time for them to do much with the dog, except maybe take them out first thing. Hey, look at that. They're going to be the first one awake in the morning. So maybe they need to take the dog out first. Now, 
a little side note on this, you know, the teenagers are sometimes waking up at like 5 a.m. And maybe, you know, they're old enough to get their day going on their own. And mom may not wake up till like 6.30. And I hear this a lot where, well, the dog stays, the dog sleeps until mom wakes up. No, wake the dog up. <laughs> wake the dog up at 5 a.m. and get their routine, get their day going. Because if that dog's going to be home alone for eight hours, why not start their day earlier and give them that much more stimulation, that much more stuff to do before you leave? So just kind of a side note there. That's the thing, guys. If we've got staggering awake times and staggering leaving times, use that to your advantage in your routine. And there's my point there, right? If someone's awake at 5 a.m., let them go take the dog for a walk. Let them take them outside. Let them take them pee, playtime, feed time. However, it can be incorporated into your routine specific to your lifestyle and when you leave in the morning, okay? But again, use that to your advantage, okay? Um, so again, this family meeting is going to let you establish who can contribute what best, right? So maybe teenager, maybe they're not a morning person. And the best thing for them to do is just let the dog out first thing in the morning. That's fine. Again, you guys know your families and what everybody can do. But so, okay, fine. That's all they can do in the morning. Well, guess what? When you get home in the afternoon, teenager, I need you to take the dog for a 30 minute walk. Okay. There they can contribute in the afternoon because that's when they're going to be home and awake. <laughs> okay. So that's going to allow you to line that up. Then the next thing I want you to do after this family meeting is create a calendar or, or maybe a, and it depends on how you may, maybe need to break this calendar down depending on your setup. You know, maybe some people can only walk the dog Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So on your big calendar that's hanging up on the wall, you're going to put Monday, Wednesday, Friday, their walk, right? You can use highlighters. You can use, uh, that's, you know, we used to do that with chores growing up, right? I believe if I remember correctly, my color was blue. My brother color, my brother's color was green and my sister's color was pink. And so whatever the chores were, you know, you'd put the letter, first letter of our name and you'd highlight it knowing who was doing what chore, right? So the trash, you'd have my highlighter in the pool would be my sister's highlighter bathing the dog that week. Yep. Believe it or not, there would be the other highlighter. Okay. So you knew on which day who was doing what. Okay. But that calendar is really important because it allows you to have a physical thing to reference and you can also check these things off as you go. Makes it easy for accountability as well, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, so those are the first two things. Family meeting, deciding who can do what and when, and then actually making a physical calendar for everybody to reference. That's really important, guys. I think having that physical calendar really helps the accountability, you know? Um, Another thing we can do, and I've done this with my clients for the terminology, how about post-its around the house as reminders? My wife's going to love this one. <laughs> she she leaves post-its for me everywhere, and and I'm getting better, better. I need to get even more better <laughs> about actually paying attention to them. Uh, but no, you can use post-its and things like that around the house to help remind us of whether it's definitions in our training um, or a reminder to walk the dog at 2 p.m., okay? Those kind of things that go a long way. But without that calendar to reference, how are you going to know to put that post-it uh -huh. All right. So that's one easy way that, or excuse me, a few easy ways that we can start creating this routine. Now, again, guys, you know, we, we've talked about what a day in the life of a dog should look like, what your dog's routine should be. And I kind of just want to cover it in a nutshell. Every dog, every dog on this planet, every single dog, no matter the size, no matter the breed, no matter anything, every dog needs a proper daily walk. It's a must. It's not a question. It's not an if. It's not an and. It's not a but. It's a they have to have a daily walk every day. 
Now, depending upon the breed, depending upon the size, depending upon energy levels, that's going to depend upon how long. But, you know, I get that a lot where the generalized question is, David, how long should I walk my dog? Bare minimum, guys, 30 minutes. Yeah. Whether you have a Maltese, a Shih Tzu, a German Shepherd, a bare minimum for any breed, really, with the exception of maybe a handful of them, uh, should be about 30 minutes. Now, when we do start talking about retrievers, sporting dogs, um, hunting dogs, we start talking about working dogs, yeah, you need to expect that to go up double. Minimum an hour-long walk when you have breeds like that. Okay, so I'm just trying to give you an idea here. And I, I know, I hear it a lot where people go, oh my gosh, I have to walk my dog for an hour in the morning? David, I have to leave for walk by 8 a.m. Guess what? You're waking up at 4 a.m. then instead of 5. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you guys. This is what a dog needs. And if you're not ready to provide that for the dog, then get a cat. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way possible. Get a cat. Go get a guinea pig. Or better yet, don't go get a lab. Don't go get a golden retriever. Don't go get a golden doodle, guys. I'm talking to you people that are not very active and you go out and get a golden doodle and go, why is this dog acting crazy? Because you're not walking them. You're not exercising them. So it may not be what you want to hear, but it is the truth, guys. In order to establish a routine with your dog, you need to know what your dog's needs are. And you can't ignore them just because you want a golden retriever. You can't ignore that. Your golden's going to need an hour-long walk, minimum, bare minimum, every single day. That's doing the bare minimum, guys, okay? Yeah. People don't like to hear how much exercise these dogs really need, but they do. They do. Now, if you're supplementing it with playtime, with dog park time, with doggy day camps, and well, that helps, doesn't it? That helps cut back a little bit on the amount of walking you're going to have to be doing. Uh, but again, I kind of wanted to give you that generalized, bare minimum, 30 minutes, guys, bare minimum. But that's the first thing you need to be establishing in your routine in the morning is a walk. Yes, I can't stress it enough. And going back, if we have multiple people in the household and staggering schedules, well, I'm sorry, then there's no reason we can't get a walk in, right? Yeah, there's no reason. There's absolutely no excuse if you have multiple people in your house, with the exception of if, you know, the other people are two, three, and five years old, <laughs> hey, maybe then, you know, you know, you get a, you get a little more leeway. Um, but find the way to best create that walk for you guys. Look, if, if, if one of this, if one spouse has to stay home with the kids because they're young in the morning and the other spouse gets out and gets a 30-minute walk-in and then that spouse comes home from the walk, they get ready to leave, they go leave, they take one of the kids to school, then the other spouse takes the younger ones, puts one in a stroller, goes out for a second 30-minute walk. You gotta do what you gotta do to establish this routine within the chaos, guys. I get it. Life is not ideal. But if you're going to go out and get a dog, your dogs don't care that life is not ideal. They don't. It's no offense to you. They just, they, they don't function on that wavelength. They don't think in, oh my gosh, we're going to be 10 minutes late to work. They just don't. All they know is go, they go, ah, geez, I didn't get walked today. I've got a ton of energy. I need to get this out. I better start chewing this couch up. <laughs> I can't actually say that's what they're thinking, right? We're not going on that, that road today. Um, but that's how you have to consider this. So that's just one example of even in the chaos, even if you have young children, and I know, I know you're going to be exhausted. I know. Ugh. So there's your other option, guys. Look, if, you're, if you've got young kids and you're just 
damn tired. You know, there's just no other way to put it. You're, you're at wit's end and you're exhausted, but you still have a high energy breed. You're hiring a dog walker tomorrow, guys. <laughs> I got news for you. You're hiring a dog walker tomorrow. Okay. You're going to take your dog to doggy day camp tomorrow. You've got to do what you got to do to make sure your dog is fulfilled and happy. So in order to establish that routine within your chaos, because we all have chaos to say, everybody's got their own chaos, guys. It's okay. That's, that's being human, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's dealing with it and how we deal with it and how we approach it. And that's what matters. Okay. So think about these things in a way that you can incorporate them best in your routine. Look, I have to, I have to give a shout out. And actually, I got to message him back. So <laughs> we're, we're going to finish this segment up and I'm going to go message him back right now. Um, someone actually reached out to me that they said they had discovered my podcast and they were thinking about getting a dog, but they were concerned. They were concerned because they work long days, they live alone, and they were worried about doing what's best for the dog. And thank you so much. I mean, really, thank you for just taking that consideration. But you know what? They took it into consideration. They they assessed if it would be the right decision for them. And they adopted a dog. And they're able to come home on their lunch break, take them out. Very active person, by the way. Very, very active. So they knew their days off. They spend a lot of time exercising. They're waking up early in the morning and taking the dog for a walk. They're coming home at lunch and letting them out and going for a walk and then doing another walk when they get home. I mean, awesome. Like that's phenomenal. And that's what you have to do if you want to have a dog and just, I mean, really thank you to them, a big thank you to them because they, they're, they're understanding what's necessary to give that dog a great life. And that's awesome. Like that's so cool. Uh, so it can be done guys. It can be done if you do it correctly, but you have to be able to establish a routine in the chaos. So getting back to it, obviously we've talked about the walk you know, all these things that can, uh, the, the walk is where we need to start. Obviously we need to feed our dogs in the morning. So take these things into consideration with your morning routine to try to best get the most, you know, try to best get the most, there you go, to try to get the most out of your time with them. Okay. With them in the morning. All right. Now, if you can do this routine consistently, it's also going to make your dog feel more comfortable and know that routine is coming. They know the fulfillment's coming. They get their exercise. They get their mental stimulation. They get fed. They go out. They pee. They get their playtime. You leave for work. They go on the couch or on their dog bed, whatever your preference is, <laughs> maybe in the crate still. And then they take a nap until you come home again. Just by establishing that routine, incorporating exercise, incorporating some discipline and reward, it's amazing how much more settled your dog can become. Okay. So that's the first where we need to start that routine. Then, of course, midday, right? I don't know if somebody's going to be home. I don't know if we're coming home from work, if the kids are off from school. But if your dog has been home alone for an extended period of time, when that next person comes home, obviously the first thing they need to do is let them out and let them relieve themselves. But then the next thing they should probably do is go for a walk. Or maybe that's the time to go to the dog park. Now we had that dog park segment today. Definitely check that. Uh, you know, if you have, we're going to listen to that. <laughs> How to set that up for success. Um, but that's when we're going to do the second part of our, our routine and making sure we're getting that energy back down because the dog's been sleeping all day. Your dog has been asleep all day waiting for you. So that should be the next part of your routine. Okay, then there's the evening. Evening comes around, right? Same thing. Can we get another walk-in? Playtime, mental stimulation. Have this figured out and laid out on a calendar, okay? Now, look, I know life is not always ideal. Maybe you're not going to be able to get the fullest amount of walks in every single day. 
you should. <laughs> the professional is telling you, you should be doing that, guys. But things do happen. No one's perfect, and I understand that. But try to get back to your routine as soon as you can. Because the more you can stick to this routine, and again, it can be, you know, the, don't have to be exactly 6 a.m. every day just to reiterate. But the more you can stick to this routine, the more comfortable your dog is going to be. Look, we're all creatures of habit at the end of the day, right? We like routine. We crave routine. Animal uh, Children, right? Children crave routine. And your dog is no different. So really, to me, the best way to set up a routine in chaos <laughs> is to understand everybody's role in the family, right? That's where that family meeting comes into play. We start with that family meeting and being able to understand everybody's role that they play in your dog's life, whether that's only playtime or walks or everything. I would like it ideally if everybody could play a little bit of each role at some point, you know, take turns on the feeding, take turns on the walk. That would be ideal so your dog gains that consistency from each and every person no matter what's happening, um, you know, uh, just, just to, to think about that. But again, if everybody can just play their role and pull their weight a little bit here, a little bit there, it's amazing how that gets you to the finish line faster, even with just behavior in your dog, okay? So have that family meeting, decide what everybody's role is, when they play those roles, and then we're going to lay it out on a nice calendar. Put it on a nice calendar so we have something to reference and we have something to check off, okay? We can even make, we could even go take it a step further with the calendar. You can make a daily checklist for each person. If you really, you know, if you're like my wife and you like journaling and you like calendars and checklists and all <laughs> that kind of fun stuff, hey man, go crazy with it. You know, I'm all about that. By all means, uh, go crazy with it because it's only going to help your dog, okay? And if each person's pulling their weight, then referencing their checklist, referencing that calendar, we know there's accountability and we're doing what we need to do to make sure our dog is happy, okay? Now, of course, if your dog has been home alone all day, make sure you're uh, getting that second round of exercise in in the afternoon, in the evenings, continuing to give them that structured routine. If you need to hire a dog walker, if they need to go to doggy day camps, that is awesome and phenomenal. Look, my doggy day camps, uh, I, I have dogs, you know, some of them come to me specific day of the week, right? It's the specific day they come and they, the dog, know, now, quote unquote, knows I'm coming. <laughs> they don't know that I'm coming. There's always something in a routine. You know, it's funny. I've gotten a lot of my clients to start thinking about this differently. I love this. I really do. I love it. Because like even just the other day, I picked up a dog for boarding and my client says to me, she says, you know, she goes, I swore that she knew you were coming. And then I realized I put her bed and dog food by the door. <laughs> See, she didn't even think about that at first. Then it was like, oh, duh, silly me. Like I put the dog, in, when do I put the dog food and dog bed by the door? Any other time other than when you're coming. Dogs are smart enough to make those connections. You may not immediately recognize those patterns, uh, but they do, you know? Um, so same kind of thing. Supposedly dogs will know it's Thursday <laughs> and it's doggy day camp day and I'm showing up. No, what it really is is, you wake up an hour earlier on doggy day camp days, or your walk is half as long on doggy day camp days, or you feed your dog before I pick them up for doggy day camp, which is earlier than you normally feed them on doggy day camp days. These are the patterns and signals your dogs pick up on. And isn't that amazing that it's showing you how they understand routine? How establishing routine in their life can actually make them feel more stable 
right? Because they know to expect something, then they get the reward, they they go for the walk, right? Like something as simple as a walk, right? When we touch a leash, what happens? The dogs get excited because they know they're going for a walk. That routine is what you're creating for your dog. And the routine helps them feel more comfortable, just like in our own lives, Okay. So again, keep these tips in mind, guys. If you, as long as you establish a consistent routine, everybody plays their part, right? It always takes a village, as we've talked about in a previous podcast segment, then you'll have no trouble creating a healthy routine in the chaos of life. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's dog parks. I did a segment on dog parks a long time ago. You know, it was one of the first segments I did on the show. As a matter of fact, I think we were still in the single digits the last time I did a dog park segment. And you know, the title of that segment was uh, was Dog Parks, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, of course, guys, dog parks, there's, there's a lot of things that come with it, and there can be good things, there can be bad things, and downright ugly things. So we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to a dog park, and being that there can be a lot of good, bad, and ugly, uh, my personal preference really is just to avoid a dog park altogether. I prefer the alternative to a dog park, which is a doggy day camp. Now, of course, yes, I'm biased. I train dogs and I operate a doggy day camp uh, in my area. So, of course, I want to push people toward that. (laughs) But just in general, guys, in general, I think a doggy day camp option is more likely to be the better and safer option for your dog to socialize. If you just kind of think about it from a, from a basic standpoint, a dog park is a free-for-all. You know, there's there's no expert. There's no person, one person, one group, organization monitoring things going on. Of course, there's rules posted on the wall. But how many people inside that dog park can actually obey all those rules? And we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but needless to say, if I go to the alternative, a doggy day camp facility, let's assume they're a reputable facility and... They've got a staff. They have protocols on how to deal with certain issues. Uh, The dogs are monitored all the time, you know. It's pretty clear that it's more likely we're going to have better behavioral success in a facility operating like that versus just a free-for-all dog bark. So, yeah, again, my personal preference, just avoid them altogether. (laughs) That's the easiest way to avoid the bad and the ugly, isn't it? Now, it's not to say that a doggy day camp facility can't have issues or potential problems, but it is less likely. Okay, so 
how can the dog park be a good thing though? It can be, it can be, it's there, I promise you. Um, maybe it's just not the right fit for everybody. Okay, there's different aspects, you know, obviously the biggest thing about a dog park is getting your dog socialized, but sometimes it's more than just the dog too. You know, sometimes people go to the dog park to socialize. So th there, there's, there are good aspects of the dog park, right? But how do we do it successfully? <laughs> Look, it's not always the easiest thing, but to me, it's it's a matter of if you have trained your dog, you have done your homework, and you've trained your dog diligently and consistently, you'll have a lot less to worry about when you get to that dog park. You'll have a lot less to worry about when there is an issue, a fight, or any of the other slow things that can go down there. So if you want to set yourself up for success at a dog park, you have to start at home. It starts well before you get to the dog park, guys. It really does. You know, I talk about it when I'm training with my clients and their dogs. I say, you know, especially like if I have a reactive dog or a dog who, you know, not necessarily reactive in an aggressive way, but a dog who reacts when we're out on leash. I tell people, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they're more worried about what's going on around them as opposed to what their own dog is doing. And I always say, if you focus in if you hone in on what your dog is doing, where their focus is, and don't worry so much about what's going on around you, then you'll have less to worry about. You know, you'll be able to control your own dog, and you won't have to worry about the dogs around you as much, okay? And it's the same thing. It carries over to the dog park. If you can train your dog well to listen, and we'll talk about the specifics of what your dog should be doing, the criteria, um, then you should have less to worry about when you get inside that dog park, because I got news for you. There are going to be incidents. There are going to be things that happen in a dog park. It's inevitable. You know, you get a group of kids together and at some point someone's going to cry and someone's going to push somebody. Like It's just inevitable. Uh, get a group of dogs in a dog park and maybe not all of them are the best and most well-trained. And I got news for there's going to be issues. So the best way to avoid those issues is by starting at home with your own dog and training them well. So where does this, what does this look like? You know, it's basic stuff, guys. It's not that kind. You know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You know, your dog doesn't have to be the perfect healer or the perfect. It'd be nice if they are. Uh, but it starts with a sit. It starts with a stay. It starts with a lie down, a drop it, and a leave it command. Then we get to the recall. But to me, it starts with the five core commands. Sit, stay, lie down, drop it, leave it. Right? Let's say things are getting a little rambunctious at the dog park and I can go, hey, Fluffy, sit. And my dog sits right down and it resets them and slows their brain down. All of a sudden, they're not getting in trouble as much. Boom. How about a stay? I can see something's getting riled up over there. All the dogs are kind of running toward a toy, but maybe it's a little intense. Maybe I'll go, hey, sit, stay. Put my dog in a stay. Let the other dogs figure it out or the other owners deal with it. Hey, look at that. My dog just avoided a potentially bad situation with a sit and a stay. Lie down, same thing. One more step. I will use a lie down as a timeout, guys. They're getting a little rambunctious. I'll walk over to them. Hey, lie down, stay. Put them in a lie down, put them in a stay, make them stay there until they relax a little bit, then release them and let them go back to playing. But of course, without the ability to guide and direct this, without the ability to have these commands under your belt, you can't do anything when you're at the dog park. Okay, you see the common theme I'm going with here. Uh, train your dog before you get to the dog park. Okay, a drop it and a leave it. Need I say more? There could be something in the dog park you don't want your dog to have. It could be a piece of a dead animal. I mean, let's be real, guys. It's a, it's a dog park. There could be something in there, and you don't want them to eat that. Leave it. Drop it. 
Maybe there's a toy that everybody's getting a little feisty over and your dog went and picked it up. You don't want them to have it for that much. Drop it. Leave it. Okay, going over to the toy, right? And we, we're not going to drop it as uh, when the dog has something in their mouth, leave it as when they're when you want them to leave it alone, they don't have it yet, right? So both of those commands can come in handy. So to me, guys, if you can't get your dog to do those five commands, then you really shouldn't be going to a dog park because what that means is you have very little control over your dog. And if you have little to no control over your dog, the last thing you need to be doing is putting them in an uncontrolled environment. And that's what the dog park is. Okay. Now the last thing that you need to have, and this one, I think you, you got to hone in on. I mean, a lot of dog parks, I don't know if I want to say most, but a lot of dog parks, a lot, a lot of dog parks. We'll go back to the rules. We're going to talk about the rules here for a second too. A lot of dog parks have posted rules, right? Somewhere between like 10, 15 rules, somewhere in that range on the rules you have to follow when you're there. Some of the rules make sense. <laughs> Some of the rules don't. However, you have to abide by them if you're in these dog parks. Okay, we're not gonna we're not diving off on that deep end today. <laughs> but what I will say is most dog parks, I, I can say most dog parks that have rules, one of those rules, most of them are gonna have this one rule at least, and that is your dog must know a recall. Now, some people are not familiar with the term recall. Uh, recall just means you get your dog to come back to you. Get your dog to come to you. That's what a recall is. I call their name and they come to me. Recall. Okay. If your dog doesn't have a recall, they're not supposed to be in that dog park. And I'm telling you, any of you guys that are regulars at your dog park, go look at the rules and that most likely, not always, but most likely will be one of the rules up there. Now, I ask another question. This is the question I like to How many people do you think enter that dog park that have a solid recall with their dog? Because I can tell you right now, it is way less than 50% way less than 50% of owners that walk in a dog park have the ability to get their dog to come back to them on command. That's a problem, guys. That's a big problem. If you cannot get your dog to come back to you on command, and I'm going to be like 100%, sure, not 100%. I don't expect your dog to be a robot. They can't be perfect every time. But if you don't have reasonable control on getting your dog to come back to you on command, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but you have no business being in a dog park. I mean that in the nicest way possible, guys. It's for your safety, it's for your dog's safety, and it's for other dogs and other people's safety. That's the reason, okay? So I can't stress it enough. You have to have these core commands, sit, stay, lie down, drop it, leave it, and a recall with your dog to safely go into a dog park. But guys, I promise you this, if you have those things down pat, you will have so much less to worry about in a dog park. And if every owner, if every owner that went into a dog park had those down, we would have so much less dog fighting, so much less art, so many less arguments between owners if everybody's dog just knew those few things. Okay, so... Yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I don't, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm lecturing you guys a little bit. <laughs> and sure, to some degree I am, because I feel like it's, it's so important that you have the ability to guide and direct your dog. If you don't have the ability to guide and direct your dog's behavior, then you're not training your dog. And if you're not training your dog and your dog isn't trained, then a dog park is probably not going to be the best environment for them. Okay. So now that we've done our homework at home, how do we transfer it to the dog park? How do we go in there and create success? Because of course, there's going to be a little more to it than those things. But I'm saying if you had only those things, 
it would get you pretty far. Okay. Um, so the next thing is going, you know, getting into the dog park is more than just showing up to the park, walking over and popping off the leash once we get in there. It's a little more than that. It is. Now, look, if your dog is calm as a cucumber when you walk into the dog park, maybe a little excited, but calm, you know, not overexcited, not pulling you to the dog park, not barking. Sure. Walk straight into the dog park and unleash them and let them go. But <laughs> I don't think that's the case for most dogs out there because, of course, dog parks are exciting. It creates a lot of overexcitement. So when you get to the dog park, the first thing you want to do is try to make sure that they're calm or as calm as you can get them before you let them out of the car. It kind of sets the tone. You know what I'm saying? If you if your dog is going, woof, woof, let me out, let me out. I want to get to the park. I want to get to the park. If you just open the door, you just reinforced and strengthen that behavior, Right. Remember, it's all what you reinforce. So if we reinforce that behavior, then it's most likely going to continue into the dog park, that overexcitement, and then it's going to potentially create a problem. So I want to try to wait till they're relaxed in the car before I let them out, and then we'll let them out, okay? If they start to get crazy again, we put them right back in the car, we hit that reset button, wait for them to calm down, let them out of the car again. Pretty soon they're going to understand, oh, every time I relax, I get out of the car. Every time I freak out, we go right back in. Well, this stinks. I don't want to freak out. I want to relax so I can get out of the car. Ah, make the connection, okay? All right, so then we're going to make our way over to the dog park. But I, you know, I like to go for a walk before I go in the dog park. I do. I like to go for a nice little walk around the area. Let the let my dog take in the scents, you know, the smells, the sights, the sounds, all that good stuff. Make sure I have control over them. You know, guide and direct their focus, ensuring that I have that control and then make my way over to the dog park. Now, once I go over to the dog park, I like to do a scan. <laughs> I like to spend a good five minutes at least right outside the dog park, either hanging out or walking back and forth, you know, doing some turns, doing some redirections, keeping my dog focused on me because I like to assess who's in the park. What dogs are in the park? Are there any really troublemakers? Am I hearing a lot of commotion and issues? And if I am, then, hey, Maybe today is not the day to go to the dog park. I'm going to turn around and go in my car and go home. But you know something? My dog still got a trip to the park. They still went for a walk. They still got to see the sights and sounds. They still got something. Sure, we didn't make our way into the park today, but you know what? It's better to be safe and not go in with dogs you maybe feel like you can't trust or owners you feel like you can't trust, right? Um, so spend a few minutes outside and assess what's going on inside, Okay. Then once you make your way into the dog park, once again, we're going to take our time. Look, the first few trips, and this isn't every time you go to the dog park. Like I said, guys, let's rewind. I said if your dog is calm and cool and all is well, hey, walk right into the dog park. You don't have to play this game. But if your dog's excitable and we're trying to get them calmer, you're trying to create more control at the dog park, these are the steps you have to take. And the first time, yeah, it may take you a half an hour to get in that dog park, but the second time it'll only take 25 minutes and so on and so forth. But I promise, guys, I, I cannot stress this enough. If your dog is overreactive, overexcited, crazy, you feel like you don't have control over them, the last thing you want to be do want to be doing is walking straight into that dog park and reinforcing that kind of behavior. Okay, so if you just slow down and take your time for the first few times you go, it pays off big in the end, I promise. Okay, so like I said, we're going to make our way into the dog park. We're going to make our way into that little holding area. All the dogs are going to swarm over to us, right? That always happens if you've been to a dog park, you're familiar with this. And I'm just going to wait. I'm going to put my dog in a sit and a stay. Ah, there are those commands again coming in handy, helping me to guide and direct their behavior and their focus. Put them in a sit and stay and start rewarding it. Okay. 
I'll wait in the holding area for a good five minutes, let all the dogs lose interest and let them disappear. So that way I don't have 30 dogs crowding my dog when I try to make my way into the dog park. Handful of dogs, three or four or five, sure, we can deal with that. But when they all come over all at once, it can be a bit intimidating for your dog when you bring them in. And that alone can cause a lot of issues. You know, I've mentioned it before. A lot of dog fights tend to happen in the first minute that a new dog enters the dog park. And it's all because of how they how they enter the dog park. It's that explosion. We open the gate and just let them go in and all the dogs crowd them and then it becomes a thing. And then one dog feels cornered and all of a sudden, right? But if I just hang out, chill in the holding area, relax, wait for the other dogs to calm down and relax. Then, wow, it's going to be a lot easier to walk in that gate. Okay, can't stress that enough. So once all the dogs lose interest and walk away after a few minutes, I'm going to open the gate to the dog park while still keeping my dog on a leash. Very important to note that. And then I'm just going to walk right into the dog park with my dog. And I'm going to start walking around the perimeter with my dog leashed up. We're going to go for another walk. Yeah, another walk inside the dog park. That way I keep control, maintain control, and show my dog just because we're in here doesn't mean the rules disappear. I'm not just popping off the, le- popping off the leash immediately and going, hey, here you go, free for all. No, it's like a little reminder, a little check-in of, hey, the rules don't disappear just because we're here, Okay. Then once I feel like my dog's being cool, some of the other dogs will come up and be sniffing as we're walking. Cool. Not a big deal. Quick, short hellos. Awesome. If I feel like all is well after a round around the dog park, then I'll pop off the leash or maybe let my dog drag the leash around. So that way I still have some level of control, right? Now, again, guys, once we're in, once we kind of let the dog go and give them that freedom, If I've done my homework, which I have, uh, if I've done my homework at home and we've worked on the training, the sits, the stays, the lie downs, the drop, it's the leave, it's the recall, then it shouldn't matter too much by this point because we've taken a really healthy approach toward making it a nice slow introduction to that dog park so the dog never feels overwhelmed, so the other dogs don't feel overwhelmed. I've done my training at home, everything's solidified, so that way when we go in there, I still have control. It's going to make your dog feel more comfortable that you're in control, okay? I cannot stress that enough. So take your time. Take your time getting into that dog park. I don't care if it takes you an hour. (laughs) Time is irrelevant. It's more up to the dog. They dictate to me when we move forward. My rule really is as long as they're calm, cool, and focused, we we can keep moving forward all day. But if they're hyper, if they're whining, if they're barking, if they're jumping, if they're pulling, if they're doing any of these overexcited, anxious behaviors, I'm not going to reinforce those behaviors by continuing into the dog park. All right. So really, guys, in a nutshell, here's what it takes to make the dog park successful. It takes starting by training at home, creating your five core uh, commands, sit, stay, lie down, drop it, leave it. And of course, also that recall as well. It takes a little more time and a little more practice to get the recall going. Okay. You can also go listen to some of my other segments. We talk more in depth about how to get a recall going. Uh, really good stuff there. But that's where it starts at the dog park, starting well before you get there in training. Then once we get to the park, we're going to take our time getting out of the car, making sure we're not letting them out until they're nice and relaxed. Once we get out of the car, we're going to go for a nice walk around the dog park, get some of that energy out, let my dog take in some sights, some sounds, and make sure we're maintaining control and focus at all times. If that control and the focus maintains and all is well, my dog is cool, we're going to make our way over to that dog park. Then we're going to do an assessment once we get to the park outside the park to make sure everything inside the park 
is nice and cool, calm and collected. All the dogs in there are okay. I feel comfortable going in with the dogs that are in there. Once I feel comfortable, we're gonna go into that holding area once again, taking our time. Put our dog in a sit and a stay, making sure they're relaxed, letting all the other dogs lose interest, dissipate, go away, and that way it's down to a trickle by the time I walk in the park, we're gonna walk in with our dog leashed up, take a nice little stroll around the park on leash with our dog, letting other dogs come up and sniff, you know, quickly in and out, nice short sweet hellos. Then once everything is, is good, I feel like my dog is controlled, still paying attention to me all as well, pop off the leash or let them drag it around, okay? Now again, guys, going back to it, just gonna stress it again, if my dogs have that core training that we start with, once I let them have that freedom, it's gonna be a lot easier to keep control. Now, one other thing I wanna note, when you're at a dog park, two things I want to note, actually. <laughs> two things I want to note. The first thing I want to note is when you're at a dog park, if there is ever a moment when you don't feel comfortable, your gut is telling you something's not right, you don't feel comfortable about that person, you don't feel comfortable about that dog, do not second guess yourself. Leash up your dog calmly and leave the dog park. There's no harm and no foul in that, okay? But I can't stress it enough. If your gut is telling you, eh, I don't like this, don't wait for it to get worse. Go ahead and just leave. Come back to the dog park a different day. Not a big deal, okay? You don't want to wait for something bad to happen. So I, I can't stress that one enough either. And then the second thing I want to say is do not let anybody else at the dog park tell you how to work with your dog. Yeah, you're going to find a lot of know-it-alls at the dog park, a lot of people who think they know everything about everything, and they want to impart that knowledge upon you. The problem is they don't know everything about everything because they don't know you. They don't know your dog. They don't know your situation. They don't know if you're working with a trainer. And look, if you're one of those people, I'm talking to you. Back off. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. Back off. It's not your dog. Okay. So again, I mean, this. I, I can't really say it in a nice way. So I guess I mean it in a sort of mean way. Uh, mind your own business and don't let anybody else tell you how to train your dog. Now, if you want to give them my info and say, Hey, you should listen to this podcast <laughs> by all means, then it's me telling them and I'm cool with that. Uh, but you know, do yourself a favor and don't listen to anybody else. That's that's just my other biggest recommendation with the dog park because a lot of people out there will try to tell you otherwise. Um, you know, look, guys, you heard my you've heard my feelings on a dog park. It's not my favorite place in the world, but it can be done successfully if you, as the owner, set your dog and yourself up for success. So uh, take some of those things into consideration. But hey. Also consider a reputable doggy day camp facility for your dog to go have some proper socialization and some healthy socialization. So, hey, good luck out there and stay safe in the dog parks. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Now, the Chesapeake Bay Retriever, they're a member of the sporting group. Males come in from 65 to 80 pounds and females from 55 to 70 pounds. A classic American dog, the Chesapeake Bay Retriever is a loyal, affectionate, and tireless dog breed. A strong and powerful gun dog, they are famous for their waterproof coat. A distinctive breed trait is that their coat is always wavy and oily to the touch. Now, while these dogs take to training well, they are known to sometimes have a mind of their own. They're protective and loyal to their family and may be a bit cautious of strangers. 
These dogs were meant to be put to work, so daily walks and exercise are a must. Now, the water is one of the best ways to keep this dog occupied. After all, it's literally in their name. Without proper exercise, though, they can become destructive. There are a few health concerns to note. As with all large breeds, owners should be aware of hip and elbow issues, as well as bloat and GDV. And there are certain hereditary diseases breeders should test for as well. The history of the Chesapeake Bay Retriever dates back to the 19th century. To understand the origin of this dog breed, one must really first understand the Chesapeake Bay. The Chesapeake Bay is a 200-mile-long estuary surrounded by the states of Maryland and Virginia. Now, the bay itself is relatively shallow at an average depth of only 21 feet. Because of this, the water cannot store a lot of heat and tends to freeze over early in the winter and stay frozen through the spring. Second, the bay is located along what is called the Atlantic Flightway, a flight path taken by ducks and geese for their winter homes. Now, each year, the bay is home to a third of all migratory birds wintering on the East Coast. So duck hunters hoping to exploit this natural uh, hunter's haven built a dog that would be best suited for the environment. Now, the double coat of the Chesapeake Bay Retriever helps insulate them and keep them warm, and the large, broad chest helps break through the ice in the water. And of course, he has large hindquarters and webbed feet to help propel him through the windy, choppy waters. These dogs were originally thought to have been bred down from the Newfoundland, Irish Water Spaniels, and other hounds to make one of the most reliable and able dogs in frozen conditions. But the Chessie doesn't just excel in the water, no, they've also been known to do well at search and rescue, drug and bomb detection, agility, and with their sweet personalities, therapy work as well. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Tamara from Virginia. Tamara says, is it safe to give my dog Benadryl? Now Tamara, I want to answer this first and foremost with, you should always check with your veterinarian before giving any over-the-counter human medication to your dog. With that said, Benadryl is definitely one of the most uh, prescribed. I mean, if you can call it prescribed, because it's again over the counter, but it's definitely one of the most common human medicines, uh, human medications that veterinarians are going to recommend for your dog. Now, there's a slew of reasons. You know, there's been some research into uh, Benadryl potentially helping with anxiety issues, but the majority of cases where Benadryl is going to be administered is going to be allergies. Right now, my golden retriever, Colby Jack, used to have a lot of allergy issues, and uh, he was definitely on Benadryl for a little while, and it helped. You know, it helped a lot. Um, but again, it's one of these things where you do want to be careful and be safe because there are certain dogs that should not have Benadryl, uh, low blood pressure, dogs that have cardiac conditions, uh, glaucoma or pregnant dogs, right? Those are just some examples of dogs that should not be having Benadryl. So it's better to err on the side of caution and always reach out to your vet first before giving Benadryl. Um, but yeah, Benadryl is one of those things where it can be given to pets safely, um, and the interesting thing with Benadryl, guys, and again, by no means am I a veterinarian, please always talk to your vet when it comes to medications first, but Benadryl is actually digested and, and really processed differently with dogs than it is with humans. Um, you know, some, there's actually even some study that say that, that, that 
the Benadryl, Benadryl has the opposite effects that it has in human beings. It can actually cause hyperactivity in dogs as opposed to sleepiness and drowsiness. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's definitely digested differently by them and processed differently. And so the, also the dosage is going to be different. Now, the dosage for Benadryl for dogs usually is somewhere between, I think it was like 0.9 milligrams and 1.8 milligrams, if I remember correctly. So really, they kind of give you the ballpark is one milligram per pound. Okay. Now, again, going to stress it one more time. Please always check with your vet before giving any over-the-counter medications to your dog. But one milligram per pound is the recommended dosage for Benadryl for your dogs. And believe it or not, guys, you can give that dosage sometimes up to three times a day for certain dogs, depending on what your vet says. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. You, you know, a human being can't take Benadryl that often, but dogs can. Okay. So it's just important that you know your dog's health issues first. You talk to your veterinarian first, but Benadryl, yes, you can give it to dogs under the right circumstances. Next question. Now this one comes from Marissa from Worcester, Massachusetts. Marissa says, my dog is a little overweight. We walk him twice per day for about 45 minutes to an hour each. And I listen to your podcast regularly, so we have changed the quality of our walks, and they have improved. But he's still a little chunky. <laughs> I feed him what the bag tells me to, but it seems like it's too much. What should I do? Well, Melissa, thank you for listening as a regular listener. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. And I'm so glad that the information is helping on your walk. Uh, really, that's fantastic. You know, always the quality over the quantity. Love it. So that's fantastic. But yeah, you know, if your dog's a little chunky... Uh, you, you didn't mention anything about extra treats. <laughs> I'm going to have to hopefully assume that you're not really feeding your dog a ton of extra treats because really, you know, they don't need them. Um, it's not to say you can't give your dog a little treat here, a little treat there, but just like anything, guys, too much of something can be bad. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why your dog's a little overweight. But the other thing I will say is when I hear, well, I'm feeding him what the bag tells me to. Dog food companies want you to buy more dog food, and they're going to tell you to feed your dog more than you probably should. <laughs> now, look, every dog food's a little different. Some have higher protein content. Some are going to be more, you know, higher calorie. It, it, it really all depends upon the formula that one food, you might feed your dog a cup, and then this other food, you need to feed your dog a cup and a half each meal. You know, I, I, that's, that's just how these foods are formulated. And then there's the other side of it, that your dog's metabolism. It's just like human beings. Granted, not quite as wide of a variety, but, but dogs' metabolisms do vary a bit. And some dogs can go through more food and still stay a healthy weight. Um, but I will say, those, those dog food companies, they, they do tend to tell you to feed a little more than you probably should. Now, my veterinarian, he's going to tell you, you need to watch the calories. That's how he likes to base uh, a healthy dog weight and what you should be feeding your dog is based on caloric intake and the size of your dog, the weight of your dog or what your healthy weight of your dog should be. Breed, of course, taking into consideration. Uh, I do, I go more by a cup, you know, a cup measurement, cup, cup and a half, cup and a third, but I do go down to like a cup and a quarter or you know, I, I get a little specific with it. But again, you know, are you feeding them too much? I don't know. You know, you didn't mention size or breed or anything like that. But what I will say is if he's a little chunky, 
take down the kibble a little. It's not going to hurt, okay? If it's a little chunky, take a little more of that kibble away. Start with taking the treats away first, please. Let's not take away the fortified kibble that's good for him and still give the treats. Uh, just throwing that one out there. So, but but there really, there isn't anything wrong with cutting back just a little bit on the kibble. Just go small amounts at a time. Keep up your normal routine, your normal exercise, because again, depending on what your breed is, your dog's breed, um, for two 45-minute walks are pretty good, right? It's pretty darn good. If you can get even more in, I'm all for it, unless you have a tiny dog. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I would just try to take the kibble down a little bit, only a small amount of time, and see if that makes a difference. Because that might be, you might just be overfeeding just a little too much. The answer to today's trivia question, which animal spends up to 90% of its day sleeping? It's the koala. That's right. After eating more than a pound of eucalyptus leaves in a day, they're going to get a nice nap in because unfortunately they don't get very much energy from that diet. Now, koalas also usually don't drink much water either as they get most of their moisture from these leaves. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you like what you're hearing and you haven't clicked that five-star review yet, go ahead and do that for me right now. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>